Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Thursday nights at uh, the Ross home, uh, you will know that we've been going through the Gospel of John in various ways. Uh, at our house, we've been doing the uh, Mike has helped lead us through the I am statements here on Sunday mornings. We've been kind of going through a, a, a topical list of reading through uh, John and discussing certain important themes. And we believe as a church, we need to all we never need to move past the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so we want to have a pattern on almost on a yearly basis of coming back to God's word and God's gospel, his good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, specifically uh, in a cyclical manner. And so what we're doing is we're going into the gospel of John, and then we're going to move towards Easter, and the weekend after Easter, we're going to move into the book of Revelation, um, because really they're written by the same person, right? John the apostle. And so we're going to see how the gospel and the book of Revelation, how it all flows as one continuous good news message to God's people. So the Gospel of John is, uh, is a unique gospel. It's different than the, other, than the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke we call the synoptic gospels because they have a lot in common. John has a different structure. It opens up with a prologue and then it moves into a, a book of signs and there are seven signs that Jesus is the Christ and then it moves into a the book of glory, and more than any other gospel, it spends more time uh, recounting Jesus' last days uh, than any other gospel. And then at the very end, we have an epilogue. And so we see that the purpose of the gospel is really summarized in the last two verses of the second to last chapter. And you'll see these on the screen. John 20, verses 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But they are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah. You may have a translation that says Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. That is why we do church. That is why we gather together as God's people. That's why we open the word. That's why we worship. We want you to have a life in his name. Life in his name. A name defines who you are. And many of us, we, we, we try to define ourselves by the things that we do to build up our own names. But there's one name that matters, and his name is Jesus. And so I want to invite you today to, to have life. And today we're going to look at at the beginning of John, and we're going to look at how life enters into our world and talk about who Jesus is and what he means to us and what he empowers us to do as his people. So let's read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning, echoes kind of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John opens up. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has, was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is John the Apostle writing about John the Baptist, two different people. Um, that a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe, um, believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and to his own people, yet they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in what? His name. A beautiful name. And who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of God or the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have observed his glory, the glory as the, only, the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received, this is good news today, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ no one has ever seen god the, the one and only son who is himself god and is at the father's side he has revealed him this is our big idea today it's this jesus is the word you need to hear a good word this morning know this jesus is the word Specifically, the word word in, the, in John chapter 1, you've heard it before, probably if you've been in a Bible study or another sermon, the word is the logos. And the logos has, multi, has, has a whole swath of importance and meaning to uh, the people whom John was writing to. John is writing to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He's, he's writing an account to bring glory to God. John is not like Luke. Luke is, Luke is uh, in his gospel, is, is really a historical narrative. John's not writing a historical narrative. He is writing so that we may know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, and we would have life in his name. So John, in particular, focuses on Jesus and not really all, all the times, all the, all the things happening around him. He focuses on the person and work of Jesus. In fact, John doesn't identify himself. Early church history tells us this was John, the apostle. But in fact, you have to go all the way to chapter 19, verse 35, before he identifies himself as an eyewitness. And then in, in chapter 21, verse 24, that he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And so we see here that John's purpose is to tell us that Jesus is the Christ. And he does this by telling us that he is the word. And what we see from this first 18 verses is three different things. First, the word is God. The word is God. I pointed out that it begins in the beginning. John is writing, and, and the reason he chooses that wording to open his gospel is to tell us that Jesus changed all the course of human history. There's a firm division between the Old Testament and the New. Jesus is coming. He is bringing the, 
the new covenant. He is going to shed his blood on the cross. His body will be broken for us and we will have life in his name. And what he does here is he takes Genesis chapter 1, specifically the first five verses of Genesis 1, and he reads them in light of the truth that, of who Jesus is. This is kind of a, a, a thing that Jews did back in the day. It was, a, is a, it was a way that they studied scripture called a midrash. And what they did with the midrash is they took uh, something from the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and they would take the writings and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, and they would read those together and basically use them as a commentary to have a fuller picture on what's happening. And so some people will say that there was no concept of a trinity until the New Testament. Well, early Israel tells us that they had a concept uh, that God was, 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 was a Trinitarian God, that God operated uh, beyond uh, just a singular form, like God was human flesh. God became, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God didn't, God the Father and God the Son aren't two different persons. God the Spirit isn't a different God. They're all God, three gods, one person. Wayne Grudem describes it this way in his systematic theology book. He says, God eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. This is why the Old Testament writers understood that God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created him, right? Male and female, he created him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of of the deep, right? The Holy Spirit is there at the very beginning. And what we see from John is that not only was the Holy Spirit there, not only was God the Father there, but Jesus was there. And even the early, even the early Jews understood this because in their midrashic uh, writings and their studies, they understood that wisdom was there at the creation of the heavens and the earth. They looked at the book of Proverbs and Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they understood that wisdom was there. And in fact, some of their earlier, earlier writings, and maybe you've heard of Targums before, but Targums were, they would take these Midrashic writings, which were uh, taking the whole Old Testament and studying it together. They would take these oral teachings and they would translate them into Aramaic, which was the common language of the day from Hebrew. And they would, their Targums were basically an Old Testament with commentary. Now they would add different things into the teachings and they weren't trying to, they weren't adding to God's word, but it was a way that they commented on what was happening there. It's kind of like our modern day Bibles that have commentaries in it. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever had a Bible with a commentary in it. You read what's below it to kind of understand it better. And so one of these old Targums said this in Targum Neophyte. It says, in the beginning, and they add, the, the writers here add, in the beginning, with wisdom, the son of Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. See, here even the early Jews understood that this Messiah was there at the beginning of creation. They understood that wisdom was acquired at the very beginning in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 22. They understood that 
understood that even God created the world through a son. You read the book of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 4 and 5. It says that his name, what is his name? What is the name of his son? If you know, every word of God is true. Isaiah, as he prophesied about the coming Messiah, he said, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12 says that he made the earth, talking about Yahweh, with his power and established the world by his wisdom. The New Testament writers, they got this. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The word is God. The word's creator. Jesus is our creator. You see, the creator has a certain authority over creation. That's where sin enters the world, when creation tries to dictate authority over the creator. No, Jesus is God. Maybe you've had a Jehovah's Witness come and knock on your door on a Saturday or something like that, and they, if you get to talking with them, they'll tell you that John chapter 1 is, is, is misinterpreted because it's not in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And they'll add in their translation, the New World Translation of the Bible, in fact, the only translation that says this, they'll say the Word was a God. Because Jehovah's Witness, if you didn't know it, they deny the Trinity. They don't believe in God in three persons, blessed Trinity. They believe that Jesus was a God. And they do this because they look at the article before the word theos and they say, well, there's no article there. Well, then it has to be translated a God. Well, they don't know a lot about biblical Greek. Because when you translate Greek, you do it in the context of what's there. And John is very clear that Jesus is not a God, but Jesus is God. In fact, he uses the word logos, like we talked about. The word logos had a whole understanding that the Jews understood that God created with wisdom. God created by his word. They, they use another word called mimra, which means that God created with all wisdom and all understanding by his word. In fact, logos was creator. And you would never say that a God was the creator God. No, Jesus was God. He was God. He is God. He will always be God. Nothing can take that away from him. In fact, John makes it clear. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. Not that Jesus was a separate God. No, Jesus was God. And he makes the point again. He says, and he was with God in the beginning and all things were created. And nothing has been created that wasn't created by him. This is who Jesus is. This is who we worship. What's at stake here is the deity of Christ. You see, John will go later on and he'll say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This was something that, that, that was not easy to understand. You see, Jesus, we know it nowadays 
For, for if you've been in seminary or you hear uh, hear us say it here on a Sunday, you'll know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And there's a fancy term for that called hypostatic union. Jesus did not leave when God sent His Son, like John three sixteen tells us. God sent His Son so that we may believe in Him because He loved the world. Right when Jesus descended so that uh, he could meet us here where we are. He didn't leave his deity in heaven. Jesus became fully God. And he took on human flesh, becoming fully man. There were two equal and opposite heresies during this time. One was named Docetism. And that believed that Jesus left, that Jesus was always spirit and that Jesus was always God and had no sort of humanity connected with him. But then we also see that there are equal and opposite heresies that said that Jesus was, had, t- had left and become fully man. He left his deity. He left his deity in heaven and he became fully man. No, Jesus was God. He was fully man. He was fully God. That's the miraculous state of the incarnation. That's what we worship every Christmas when we think back about his birth. We remember that Jesus left the riches of heaven and came down to earth here for us. The word is God. Secondly is this. The word is light. The word is light. Let's look at verse 4 again together. It says, in him was life And that life, that's the title of our sermon, right? That's the purpose why John is writing, so that we may have life in his name. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. Do do y'all get it there? Science tells us that light creates life. God's word, and it's true, tells us life creates light. There's a difference there. The sun and and things that were created don't bring life to us. No, the life that is in the spirit of God is what creates light. The life is who created light. He said, let there be light, and light came. Light is not something we are naturally owed. Light is a gift from our creator God. Light is something we get to enjoy. For those of us that were here after Hurricane Ida, right, right, we... We praise God for lights, right? You know, we praise God for lights. Lights aren't things that light is not something we are naturally supposed to have, but light is a gift. This word Zoe, the for life, is mentioned 36 times in this gospel. In fact, John uses that word life more than 40% of the total occurrences in the New Testament. And what we see here is that the word for light. Phos, uh, which means that light, that life is the source of light, is also a common theme repeated throughout John's gospel. You see, Jesus brought life that brought forth light because we were in darkness. We see in, in Isaiah's prophecy, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that they were dwelling in a land of deep darkness. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And on them light has shone. Later on we see that 
that, that the, uh, to us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. We, we think about that every Christmas. Well, in the midst of that, God was bringing light to our darkness. The word is light and that life given this is a tongue twister right the life given by god's spirit and jesus christ is what brings light to our present darkness we talked about that last week when we talked about spiritual warfare talked about the end of the book of ephesians where it talked about putting on the armor of god that our war isn't just with flesh and blood but spiritual powers and authorities right and that represents even pagans understood that darkness represented evil and that light represented good and so we know that the light has now shone in the darkness and we as God's people with our and armored by his spirit we push back the darkness with the light that is in us darkness and light are not equal forces let's look at verse 5 it says the light shines in the darkness, and what? Yet the darkness has not overcome it. They're not equal. They're not equal. Light will always push back darkness. See, there's heresies all over the world that Satan and God are two equal warring figures, and they're, and, and they're warring over humanity. No, what we see is that John tells us, like Mike told us in our beginning prayer, John tells us that Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, and he echoes that in the book of Revelation near the end of the Bible, where he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, light doesn't have to push back darkness. Light doesn't have to win a war against darkness. It's a reality of what light is. It's who light is. And we see Jesus emphasizes this in John chapter 6 verse 35 like we've been talking about in our community group on Thursday nights the I am statements what does John say he says I am he says about Jesus Jesus told them I am the bread of life no one comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever thirst again and later on Jesus says in John 8 12 he spoke to them and he said I am the light of the world anyone who follows me will never again walk in darkness but will have the light of life Matthew tells us that Jesus taught the early his early followers that we are the light of the world a city on a hill that can't be hidden we don't get a light we don't hide it under we don't light a candle and hide it under a basket right no but we let it shine we let it shine so that the, our world, which is in darkness, will see the light of our Heavenly Father, right? And they will follow Him. And they will find life in His name, as John tells us. Verse 7, it says that there was a man named John, and then talking about John the Baptist, and then it says, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify about the light. That's what God is calling us to do. God is wanting to raise up a generation in the spirit of John the Baptist that hails the coming of the king. See, Jesus is here, but Jesus is coming again, right? We're going to look at the book of Revelation. He is coming again, and he's coming again riding on a white horse, sword coming out of his mouth, and that sword is the word of God, the word that became flesh, 
that we're talking about today. The word judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we see that he is coming back for his church. And we get to declare that message. We get to say, light has come. That light lives in me. The word became flesh. He lives in me. And I get to show you that I have found life in his name. And I want to invite you to find life in his name as well. This word for testify in verse 7 is martyreo, where we get the term martyr from. Because part of testifying to who Jesus is means that we lay down our lives for his name. And that might mean that you one day find yourself on the mission field and you have to lay down your physical life for his name. But for those of us here in America, oftentimes our physical lives, not all the time, y'all remember Columbine, right? When the Columbine shooting disaster happened, uh, right? Someone took other people's lives because of their testimony of Jesus. That may happen in America, but we also know that we have to lay down our lives and our reputations, everything, so that everyone can know about Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus, anything less than everything is nothing. He requires all of us. That light is the light of man, and we get to shine that light into the darkness. So we see that Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God, and the Word is light. And lastly, we see this. We've already talked about this. The Word is revealed. The word is revealed. Restoration is here. His name is Jesus. You see, the world messed ourselves up in Genesis chapter 3. Creator God said, you can have everything but one thing. But we rebelled against our creator and we said, no, we want that one thing. We want to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened is sin entered the world. And since sin entered the world, God in the Old Testament still had still had compassion, still had unmerited favor upon his people. There was nothing that Abraham did that earned him to be chosen by God to, so that all the nations of the earth should be blessed by him. There was nothing that Abraham did that deserved that. But God chose Abraham, and God chose Israel, and God has chosen you here today. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, like Peter writes, that we are God's chosen possession so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us, right, into what? His, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. The word is revealed. Like we said earlier, uh, I believe that John here saying the word became flesh and dwelling, dwelling among us is really to combat some of the heresies of what people think when they look at who Jesus is. We talked about docetism, who, who looks that Jesus was fully divine and had no humanity to him. Well, the opposite of that is Arianism, which believes that Jesus was fully human and had no deity. And so we see that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and what he did was the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if you've been in our Bible study on Sunday morning, you know that that dwelling among us is the same word used for pitching a tent. What it's imaging here is the Old Testament tabernacle. That the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and God's presence tabernacled among us. 
God's spirit, God's temple is now alive in us. God's temple is alive in his people, the church. We know in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was at the center of the camp. It was also the place of the law. It was the abode of God. It was the source of revelation, the site of sacrifice, and the focus of worship. Now the tabernacle has become flesh, and his name is Jesus. He is the center of our camp. He is the, he is the word. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the center of our worship. He has... Not, not, no longer do we have to bring sacrifices to God. He is that sacrifice for us. The word is revealed, and this is good news, and this is something we should all get excited about. Jesus is the word. The word is God. The word is light. The word is revealed. And I'd like to invite you. I'm going to close today with some scripture and then a couple of exciting announcements. I'd like to close by reminding you that you're a part of a family. And I'd like to invite you to join the family. Whether you're a member of Family Church, whether you're a visitor, whether you don't know who Jesus is, you are invited to be a part of something that he is doing. We see that John continues his theme in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, when he says, What was from the beginning and what was heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have observed and have touched with our hands concern the logos, the word of life. The life has been revealed. And that life that's been revealed, as he writes, as John writes in 1 John, is the same life that he talked about at the end of the gospel, which was that life was, was life in his name, the name of Jesus. And Paul writes Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason God highly exalted him, the word, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then John ends with his vision in Revelation. He says what? Revelation 19, verse 13. And his name was called the Logos of God. His name was called the Word of of God. The name in which every knee should bow is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Paul ends in Romans 10, 13, and we talk about this every week. 10, 13, verse 15. For everyone who calls upon the name, Jesus, God's Word, will be saved. And how then will they call on him? How will they call on that name that they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him and how can they hear and I, there's got to be a better translation out there usually it says without someone preaching but when you look at the greek what this is saying without someone telling them about him so how are they supposed to know about that name how are they supposed to know about the logos how are they supposed to know about the word of god unless someone tells them without a preacher without a declarer how are they supposed to know and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I don't know about you, but not everybody has good looking feet. I got ugly feet. But I know that in Jesus, my feet are beautiful. Because the feet of those who bring the good news are beautiful. That's what God's calling us to do, to lay down everything for his beautiful name. 
If you followed social media this week, I'm going to end with a few announcements that Mike's going to emphasize again at the end. If you followed social media this week, you will see that Easter Sunday, we are going to be meeting in Metairie. Easter Sunday, we're going to be meeting in Metairie. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, or if you weren't at our business meeting a few weeks ago, you'll know that we're actually getting some work done on the bottom floor, which makes our bathrooms and kids' space uninhabitable for several weeks. And so we don't see that as a sign of defeat. No, we see that as, as an opportunity for expansion. So we're going out to Metairie, and God's provided us a place. Uh, Tim said that him and Kathleen drove around and found it the other day. And so I said, I said it was across the street from CVS while well, I lied. Uh, and it's, uh, I didn't lie intentionally, but it's, uh, it's a few uh, houses behind CVS on West Esplanade, and it didn't have a sign when they were looking for it. Now it does have a sign. I've actually, we put up a sign this week that says, Coming Easter Sunday. And we've actually already gotten calls from people that are excited about us being there on Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be there on Easter Sunday. I want you to get excited about that. We're not going to be there before Easter Sunday. We're going to be there on Easter Sunday. And we're going to be there for a time period so that we can do God's work there and we can get God's work done here in making his, his, uh, uh, an exciting place for young people and generations to come downstairs and also bathrooms that are, that are, that are normal, you know, <laughs> hope you're excited. I know the girls don't have a toilet that's almost all the way to the ground, but the guys do and it's not easy, right? And we want to provide a place that is hospitable, that people can come and they can experience Jesus in a personal way. And, and you know what sometimes reflects how much you care for God is how much you care for his house. And so we're going to do the same thing here. And so we're excited about that. I encourage you, if you want to give to that building campaign, you can do so. Uh, we have a, a campaign here called the Forward Campaign. So you can just give a special gift and write forward on it, and we'll know where to put that. But God's going to provide every dollar, every cent, everything that we need to do that work. And we're praying and we're excited knowing that God's going to be, reach people in Metairie. And some of those are going to go back here. But in fact, maybe we could potentially start other new works down the road because our city needs Jesus. And we are ascending people, right? How will they know about Jesus unless we are sending people to tell people about Jesus? Luke 10:2, right? The harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. And you know what? When you pray that prayer, you better be ready to go because that's what God calls us to do. And in that spirit and in preparing for Easter Sunday, I want to invite you tomorrow night. You've heard Michael announce this in the past, but I want to invite you tomorrow night to our prayer night, which is here. We do this once a month, the first Monday night of the month. Uh, if, you, if you grew up in a church that had a prayer service, well, this is what our prayer service is. This, we're not doing Bible study. We're not, uh, we're not doing uh, other different activities for kids. No, this is just a prayer service. And we're going to get on our hands and knees and pray for what God is doing and what he's calling us to do. In fact, and, and, and listen up here, in fact, we're in, we're in a, a, a season, even in our city, called Lent, where you give up, right? You give up for the season in preparation for Easter. Mike and I talked this past week, and, and we, we want to we invite our church to, beginning tomorrow, for you to take tonight, maybe in the next 24 hours, and pray to God and ask God, 
God was calling me to give up. Not just meet on Fridays so I can enjoy some awesome seafood, right? But God, what are you calling me to give up? Now, maybe that's soda. Maybe that's lunch every day. I know some people, uh, I mean, some people are diabetic and you can't give up certain meals. But there are things that you can give up. And maybe you've not been, maybe fasting has been emphasized so much in your life and walk with the Lord. But we as a church want to be a church that fasts and prays and believe that God's going to do something great. So in the 40 days up to Easter, we want to fast and we want to pray for what God's going to do in Metairie on, what is that, April 17th? 17th? Yeah. So on April 17th, for these 40 days, we want to fast and pray and believe that God's going to do something. So I would ask you over the next 24 hours and beginning Monday, find something that God wants you to give up. And I, I know I've heard someone already say that, that they're going to give up breakfast. Um, you may give up in our house. If we gave up Dr. Pepper, it would be the end of the world, you know. Um, you know, our boys, we're going to even talk with them about things that they can give up. Colton might be led by the Lord to give up Xbox for a month. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, you know. That's not prophecy. I'm just throwing it out there, you know. And what that means is when you give something up, the purpose is when you're reminded about that thing that you need to live, that you can't think you can't live without, you're reminded to pray. And you're reminded to trust God. So I want to invite you, church, to join us for prayer tomorrow night and to begin a, a season of fasting with us beginning uh, leading up to Easter. And in the meantime, you remember last summer we talked about community meals, which was inviting people into your home, inviting people to coffee, going out to lunch with people, community meals just to tell people about Jesus. I want to encourage you, leading up to Easter, don't just invite people to Easter Sunday invite people that you know where you live work eat and play invite them into your life so that they can see the light of life that is in you right john wrote the gospel so that we may have life in his name let's let the world around us see that we have life in jesus christ so i want to invite you to join community groups but also to invite people into your life I didn't put this in the announcements. I'm sure Mike will, will mention at the very end, but probably next week we'll emphasize it more. We actually have an outreach coming up. What is that, March? March 19th. I'm getting all my teens mixed up. March 19th, where we're going to give out, we're going to have a block party, and we're going to give out pulled pork sandwiches because uh, we're a new covenant people, and it's incredible. You know, We're going to give out pulled pork sandwiches, and we're going to love on our community and tell them that we are here. And that we have life in his name. Let's invite people into our lives. And then with all that being said, leading up to our time in Metairie, I want to invite you next Sunday to a work day. A work day. Oh, come on now. We're going to get to work. You don't have to have a good back. Mike has a bad back. I have a terrible back. But we're going to get to work as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to go over to Metairie. And we're going we're gonna to meet here for worship. We're going to all go grab, maybe you want to get fast food, maybe you want to go home real quick, but then we're going to come back to the Metairie property as soon as we can, at least by maybe around 1230, we're going to get to the Metairie property, which means the preacher has to be short next week, which should happen. Laura's smiling at me. So we're going to go over to Metairie, and we have got to do some things to basically, like we need to mulch the 
garden. We just need to kind of clean up and, and some things to get the space ready. We might bring a few chairs over from downstairs. We might do a little light moving. So I, I want to invite you next Sunday to get to work with us. And Mike will tell you a little bit more about that here at the end. So I want you to be excited. Sometimes God shakes us up and God shakes us up for good. And we've been living in a season with a lot of change and a lot of shaking up. Don't lose sight that God often does his greatest things through the trials of life. When stability is happening, oftentimes we lose sight of who God is. Look at the story of Job. Look at all the, I mean, even Abram. Like God calling Abram and he says, leave your land and go. God always uses seasons of moving to move God's people. And I want to invite us as family church to be a part of that moving. And we're hopefully, hopefully this is going to be our last big major thing here at 3233 Loyola Drive so that we can have a shining city on a hill for University City for generations to come. So I want you to get excited about Metairie. I want you to get excited about Kenner. God is up to something great. And let's be a part of that life that he's called us to today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is true. God, we thank you that your word created us. God, we thank you that the word became flesh and now dwells among us. We thank you for that name that we find life in, that name that is above every name. That name that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, your name is beautiful and we worship you here today. So God, help us to everything we do, every breath that we take. Lord, help us to exclaim, Lord, your goodness. Lord, your unmerited favor. God, your power to a world that needs you. God, send us out today to declare that message. As long as we have breath in our lungs, Lord, help us to scream aloud the goodness of your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a song of response. Elements of communion are at the front. If you haven't gathered.